Welcome to This Could Change Your Mind, the podcast where hot takes be cold facts. Exploring topics from hair to, well, nothing. This is the last episode. Along with many other aspects of black life, black hair has been stigmatized for so long, but as the natural hair movement gains momentum, discrimination and stereotypes relating to black hair are slowly starting to be recognized. Join Adele alongside natural hairstylists and local naturals as they chat about the complex and complicated thoughts, feelings, and experiences they have with their hair. I'm Adele, a 21-year-old Ryerson journalism student, the eldest of five, and first daughter of Congolese immigrants. I grew up in Kitchener, Ontario, and spent nearly all of my elementary and secondary school years in super white French Catholic schools. From kindergarten to my senior year, I was one of the handful of black students among my peers, and that has impacted me in countless ways. Personally, I feel that my hair has been one of the aspects of myself that I'll always struggle with. Currently, I have kinky 4C hair that hits my shoulders when it's straight in every blue moon. But more often than not, it's braided with colorful extensions for the winter and fall or in a messy twist out during the spring and summertime. But the thing is, for me, I've always had my mother do my hair, especially when it comes to braids. Before I moved back to Toronto for my final and fourth year at Ryerson, I gave myself one task. I was gonna braid my own hair. I took a lot of that process, how to properly prep and part my hair, what type of extensions to use, the grip and tightness necessary to make braids last, but what really stood out for me was how exhausted I was after doing it, not just physically, but mentally too. I don't think non-black people understand how much work goes into black hair, regardless of its texture or length. And I don't think black people as a whole have truly reckoned with what having consistently healthy and presentable hair does to a person, especially if said person suffers from especially if said person suffers from issues like chronic illness, mental disorders, and disability. And that's what I really wanted to get into in this episode. Black hair care is a lot of work, a lot of labor for any regular person. So why do we pretend like it isn't? Why do we rarely address how exhausting black hair care can be? Growing up, when it came time to do my hair, my mother spent her weekends parting, twisting, slicking, straightening, or braiding hair into new looks for me and my siblings. But my mother has five girls and one boy, and that's a lot of heads to take care of. So when I was entering teenhood, I was free to do my own hair, for the most part. Luckily, our transition from perm to natural hair also coincided with the boom of natural hair YouTube. Hey guys, it's Jizzy and I'm back with... Now checking in. Hi guys, it's Layla. So today I'll show you how I cheat my flexi rod sets. All right, so here are my edges. Hi everyone, it is time for us to tackle my daughter's high porosity hair. And I watched hundreds of hours worth of videos. Even when I had convinced my mother to braid my hair, I still ended up deep diving every couple of days to plan and figure out what products, tools, or styles I was gonna try out next. For every style I wore to school came dozens of hours spent in my bathroom cycling through trial and error, all while having to pencil in time for homework. 
It was hard enough for me to learn about my own hair, and it's comforting to know that even those who've done hair professionally for years have also gone through similar struggles. I know for me, the first time I did a wash and go, I was like, what is on my head? That's Sasha Pinnock, a natural hairstylist from Crown and Glory Natural Hair Studio. She's been in the hair business since the mid-2010s, and her journey into natural hair came suddenly when she landed her first job at a hair salon for curly hair. And uh, I remember actually leaving leaving work, because that's when I did my first wash and go, and I felt so self-conscious. In my head, I was like, oh my god, like, what am I doing? Should I be out here like this? I remember um, going to the subway station and... I think I was looking in one of the really big billboards that you can see your, you can see the billboard, but you can also see yourself. And I looked in it, I was like, oh my God. And I heard a guy yell out, don't worry, your hair looks good. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Someone likes it. So I guess I should start liking it. So that was kind of my first experience and what kind of led me to continue wanting to style more black hair. For Tiffany Biro, the natural hair guru behind Tiffany Dawn, becoming a hairstylist also motivated her to discover the potential of her natural hair. I have done everything. My hair has been relaxed. My hair has been natural. It's currently natural. I have texturized my hair. I've had long hair. I've had shoulder length hair. I have had short hair. I have had nearly shaved hair <laughs> like I felt I feel like I've done everything except for locking my hair you know so uh it greatly impacted how I navigate with my hair I used to do my hair but not as often as I do it now so becoming a hairdresser I was really exploring my own hair, what it can do, what products really reacted to my hair, testing out certain theories, things you would hear, you know, out there in the hair industry of treatments, of different styles. Like I was just so willing to explore my hair and understand my hair. And that kind of helped me understand my clients not that we have the same hair but uh, like hair is actually a journey and that's the thing about natural hair it's a journey and not an easy one and there are so many reasons for that but i didn't want to rely solely on my own experiences or those of professionals to tell that story i didn't want to seek out incredible stories or one-of-a-kind stories so i spoke to three black people in the gta and we chatted about the good bad and ugly of natural hair so, Alyssa, let's start with the first question. So, what has your natural hair journey looked like? Uh, so, personally, I've always had natural hair, and that's not true for everyone in my family. Um, my elder sister had her hair permed as a child because she didn't like her texture. It was 4C mixed with 4B, a bunch of 4s in there. And we didn't have any of these terms to describe it. 
we just had coarse or loose and she didn't like that she had a coarser texture. When it comes to black hair, the most typical way to understand it is through Andre Walker's hair type system. Andre Walker is one of Oprah's most notable hairstylists during her talk show days. I'll let him explain his typing system. So I thought the best way to do it was to, to, um, to divide the different textures into four different categories. Uh, four being kinky, uh, three being curly, two being wavy, and one being straight. And within each of those categories, uh, there are subcategories. Say, for instance, if you're a type four, you might have a coily texture or you might have uh, a, a zigzaggy texture, one that might be a little tighter than the other. So hence this 4A or 4B. Andre's typing system is now foundational to the natural hair community in spite of its flaws. My hair type, according to his skill, is 4C. So, back to Alyssa and their eldest sister's different natural hair experience. When she was a teenager, she permed it. Um, and my mother just insisted that the youngest three sisters never perm their hair because she saw how damaging it was. And she just decided she's going to spend the time once a week to braid everybody's hair. So my mother braided my hair every weekend until her arthritis kicked in and she couldn't do it anymore. So when I was about 10, I took over braiding my own hair and my two younger sisters' hair. So I spent most of my life once a week doing like a big braiding spree. Did your mother kind of learn braiding through her own family and stuff like that? Yes. My mother has an even looser texture than me. Um, my mom is mixed race, um, South Asian and Latina. And like she has some Afro-Caribbean in there, but her hair is extremely loose. So she doesn't need to comb her hair at all. She can run a brush through it. She doesn't need to braid it. She doesn't need to use special shampoos and conditioners, but she learned because she's she grew up in Jamaica and most of her family is black. Most of her friends are black. So she learned to comb black hair to take care of the other children in her family. Um, so like there's, there's a common thread between my mom and I of just, um, stepping up where you're needed to care for the younger people around you. Black hair care is beautiful like that. It really is a labor of love and there's something so special about getting your hair done as a kid and Alyssa truly gets that. It's not only that they need their hair to be neat and cared for for convenience but like they need to be shown that their hair is beautiful. They need to have someone take time with it and care with it, comb it gently, not like pull at the roots. There's a lot of people who are described as tender-headed but really someone who's combing your hair is just frustrated with how your hair is difficult to manipulate for them and doesn't take time with it, doesn't use the right products, doesn't give you the right attention and care or give you breaks to stretch your legs if your hair takes a long time. So my mom learned to do all of that as a kid, even though she doesn't need to do it for herself. And then she taught me. My natural hair journey has been more a journey of connectivity and community um, and of offering care to others while also caring for myself. Yeah, that's really interesting because I know from my mom, she said that she kind of knew how to braid hair, but then when she came to Canada with like my father, she was like, I don't know how the hell you do this. And like aunts and uncles from like my dad's side, because most of my mom's side are not in Canada, mm -hmm. but like they tried to teach her and then eventually she's like, oh, whatever, let me just learn my own technique. And like, this is before all the, like, the natural hair YouTubers or whatever. So she did not know what the hell she was just like. No, let me just go into the beauty shop, see whatever there's there, and then like figure it out. It's very funny that you say like the whole tender-headed thing. It's like my mom did not, she did not care what your head was going through. She was like, well, 
I said we're doing it now, so we're going to do it now. When I look back at it now, I was instilled at a very young age that beauty was pain. And I hadn't truly unpacked that saying in connection to my hair until years later. But the pain of black hair care, as Alyssa alluded to with their eldest sister's experience, is truly subject to texturism. There's this idea of quote-unquote good hair, which when referring to black hair, is a direct symptom of white supremacy and Eurocentric beauty standards that upholds anything nearing whiteness over traditional African features. Like with colorism, where lighter-skinned folks are deemed more desirable, that also goes for texture. The looser your curls are, the more desirable you are. And this may have been introduced by white colonialism, but it continues to be shared and reinforced by our own communities. Like Alyssa, Lydia's hair falls within type 3 hair, hail that is quote-unquote better than his coilier cousins, and this very difference has shaped their own natural hair experience. My mom used to do this thing, it was actually um, something she told me about after I was much older. I was born in Ethiopia, I was, uh, I was in Ethiopia for nine years before I came to Canada, so back home everything, everybody kind of had the same. Um, experience. We all had like protective styles and we either had braids or cornrows and but um even in that I think there was um there was some like differences in the experience I had in comparison to like my siblings. I guess when children are first born, like if they um if their parents like want their hair to grow back fuller, they would like shave their hair. And um, so she used to do that, and she told me like, "Oh, when you were born, I didn't, I didn't do that to your hair." I was kind of like curious as to why, and that was when I realized like, "Oh, okay." So like, even from a young age, like this kind of texture, texturism was a dynamic in our in our community and in, in our family, because she was like, "Oh, I didn't want to, I didn't want to shave your hair. I didn't want it to like lose that texture that it had." For people with type 3 hair, Lydia and Alyssa's experiences are so distinct and it shows the nuances texturism brings from family to family. That's why I loved hearing about Abby's relationship with their hair in contrast. Despite us both having 4C coils, the lessons we learn about our hair are so different. What has your natural hair journey looked like? Within that answer, you can also talk about how that has been shaped by your community and your family and stuff like that, or just however you want to start. So to give some context, I was born into a family of Jamaican and Ghanaian heritage. Um, my hair is a 4C texture and I'm on the darker scale within, within my family. As it stands now in my gender, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm figuring that out, but I'm probably non-binary or gender non-conforming. Um, but I was the first daughter that my mother had. So my hair journey was very, very interesting because the conversations that were had with the boys and men of my family were obviously very, very different than the ones had with the girls and the women of my family. But I am one of the people who exist who never had their hair relaxed. I've never had a perm or anything like that. So I can appreciate the memes, but it's never been part of my experience. Uh, like I know like what you said about like perms was really interesting. Cause I know for myself, I had a perm like when I was younger and then like my mom just like 
took like let us go natural randomly because she just got tired of doing perms <laughs> and then um I just I, I just remember just learning it and being like wait oh my gosh like hair can do a lot of things also my hair is not allergic to water that's so weird and it also helps that I had a parent who made sure that she exposed my sister and I to like representations of black hair and of 4C hair and would like get dolls for us that had braided hair. And if the dolls didn't have braided hair, she would braid it. <laughs> um, and just like helping us understand that there, there are options for us and there is beauty for us. Growing up, my mom would always braid our hair weekly. We'd have our wash day, we have our braiding days. We had the moments where uh, we would fall asleep and our neck would just joke from all sorts of directions and she's trying, trying to do our hair but it's impossible. And more often than not, despite how far into your natural hair journey you may be, taking care of it feels impossible. Impossible when you factor in issues such as texturism, family dynamics and more, which Lydia and I bonded over in my interview with her. I think for a long time I was bonding with my mom over her doing my hair and that was like our thing but it became something that I was kind of uncomfortable with or critical of once I realized oh, there's like you know there's some type of power dynamic going on here I think it was probably after we came to Canada that I started to realize like this is actually like there's some discomfort in my relationship with my siblings when these things come up these like microaggressions um, and I started realizing like these compliments are kind of correlated to like compliments around colorism and compliments around skin tone. And so I, I just started to think like, how, how does that feel, you know, in their body? How does that feel like for my sisters? I think they got to a point where they were frustrated um, with just their own experiences and they would ask for, you know, her to permit or to texturize it and it says something about a parent's like relationship to their different children and that like in this case to their children's hair if you say yes to one and you say absolutely no to the other no so that obviously like creates some type of um i guess a feeling of neglect maybe or a feeling of um, just having to do it on your own. So I think my siblings had to start doing it on their own much sooner than I did, like high school. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I definitely like relate. The thing about my family though, is like we all kind of have like 4C-ish hair, but like my mom, like she'll like deal with whoever's hair and she'll be like, oh, this hair is too much. Like my three youngest siblings, they all have like 4C hair. Um, with like but like they they vary in degree on how like easier it is for my mom to manipulate them and how easy it like and how they respond to my mom's manipulation of their hair because my mom also just does not have the patience the like the nine year old one's hair is perm but the rest aren't mm -hmm. so it just tells you a lot about like their hair and like what she thinks is easier and what she thinks is actually like presentable and stuff like that for me, like, I just do not understand why you would perm one, not the rest, or if you, or why you would, if you can do those other two people's, like, other two siblings here, why can't you do the other one? Like, it just felt very weird for me. And even, yeah, like, who you have more patience for, 
depends on who you think has easier hair to manage, right? Or who mm-hmm. you're more gentle with, like, might depend on, like, whose hair you think you can handle more, so. How much patience do you have for the task mm-hmm. because it's time-consuming? I understand why parents sometimes are a little rougher than you'd like because it's just in a list of chores they have to do. That's one more thing. You have to take some sort of time to invest in your hair. That's Tiffany again of Tiffany Donning. I'm a firm believer if you treat your hair with gentleness and and respect, I I do believe that your hair will, I'm not going to say it's going to flourish to something that's not within its parameters, but your hair will be well maintained. And I think sometimes when people are like, oh, I want long hair, or I want thicker hair, or I want this type of hair. I think my main advice is to maintain what you have. Before you ask for anything else, maintain what you have, master what you have, and then from there, that should lead to growth in different areas. If you are going to teach yourself a skill of just learning how to cornrow or something, it is not something that is a day. It literally takes time to build up to that. So I would say don't be discouraged really with the path that you're on in terms of your hair. Hair is a journey because you're learning about your hair in a way that probably wasn't taught to you prior. So you're going to have to take time with yourself in terms of learning and take time with your hair. Like, be gentle. (laughs) Be very gentle. But being gentle and being patient can also be a struggle of itself, which I shared when I spoke with Sasha from Crown and Glory. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know that I myself still learning how to be patient because I can't do it all the time. Uh, Yeah, it's just so frustrating sometimes. It's very hard, um, even for myself sometimes. Sometimes, for the most part, even on um, lockdown now or quarantine, whatever you want to call it, I just have twists and I keep it that way for like two, three weeks and then I wash and repeat and in between I'll try and moisturize my hair. It's, it's, It's hard. Like not everyone, you know, wakes up looking beautiful all the time, right? Let's just be honest about that. It's always, it's hard for me. I'm a hairstylist. It's hard for everyone. And that's the crux of it, isn't it? Natural hair is hard for everyone, for parents, for kids, for adults. No matter where you are on your hair journey, if your hair is permed or natural or texturized, there is still struggle. Your mental health can play a huge barrier to how you look and how you feel and what you're comfortable with. If you don't feel good in your head, that can put you in a state of not wanting to do anything, which also affects your self-care or your lack of self-care. When speaking to Tiffany and Sasha, I had the chance to get some real insight on the gaps of knowledge Black folks have on our hair, as well as what to focus on as a community. As much as that is important, I want to delve deeper into what makes natural hair so hard. And I feel that for a lot of us, our hair is inherently connected with our sense of self, both physically and mentally. 
I feel that for black folks, the easiest way to conceptualize that relationship is the way white people interacted with us as children. And that's where we'll begin. First with Abby, then Lydia, and Alyssa. Two of my siblings and myself went to a school in Hyde Park. And so the school that we went to, again, as you can imagine for the neighborhood, was predominantly white um, and predominantly non-Black POC. So came to find out at the end of my elementary school career, my teacher is saying things like, oh, we were always so excited for Mondays because we wanted to see what like Abby and their sister was going to look like because we always wanted to know what your hair was going to look like. And that, that seemed to be like the imprint that I could give to people. Not my kindness, not how brilliant I was, uh, not the fact that I was bullied for so long. Um, but it was like, oh, what does your hair look like? What's your hair doing? I started going to school here and I was like one of the only black kids in my class. It was apparent that it was always something people wanted to like bring up. Like, why do you always have braids? Or how do you wash your hair? Again, like that insecurity would come up and it would be that false sense of, oh, well, at least my hair is longer or it's a different texture. And that would kind of put me back into a place where I was, um, like rely on those kind of problematics to to give my sense of like confidence back. So it was like a love and hate relationship with my hair for a while. Going back and forth between thinking like my hair was, you know, the only thing that was kind of valued about me. And so putting it up on some type of pedestal and then also feeling like I was always like being microaggressed or like policed by just the whiteness of, of school, you know. As a child, I I really liked my hair and people in my community really liked my hair because um, I'm mixed race. I have like 3C hair, which is, it ranges from curls to, to waves. Um, so I was hearing positivity from my own people, my own family um, for honestly pretty colorist reasons. Um, but when I went to school, I was being mocked incessantly and um, white kids really would not just like say, say things to me, but do physical things to bully me about my hair, like throw things in it, put garbage in my hair, stick pencils in my hair. Um, I would have to shake my hair out after certain classes and like get all the trash that they'd stuck in it out. Um, so I guess like bullying did affect me at one point and there were years where I would try to straighten it almost every day. Uh, this is extremely damaging and not a good idea, obviously, and destroyed my curls. So I'd have to keep cutting them. And I'd be like sad that the straightness is still there because I was kind of only doing it to fit. I wasn't doing it because I like having straight hair. So once I'd seen the damage I'd caused, I'd cut it off. So many times in my life, I've been kind of damaging my hair to try to be more acceptable to people who are actively bullying me and then regretting that I'd done that and having to chop it all off. It was so interesting to hear the various ways whiteness has affected the relationship with their hair because despite being able to relate, my experiences is also unique. If my obsession with pop culture has taught me anything, it's that whiteness is the ideal. And it sucks to say, but I bought into that ideal until I was nearly 15 years old. Despite all the Shia moisture products I had wishlisted and several Pinterest boards dedicated to natural hairstyles, Part of me still ached for the simplicity of conforming to the ideals of white supremacy, and despite all my growth, I still struggle with that to this day. 
But as much as whiteness plays a hand in the ways we internalize what desirable and typical hair looks like, things like mental health, chronic illnesses, as well as gender and queerness all have largely affected me and my fellow interviewees. I also have depression, like seasonal depression and um, depression that just comes about randomly throughout the year, but also general anxiety disorder. And I think that it actually the anxiety can be the harder thing with my hair because I'll make these grand plans for what I'm going to do, what braids I'm going to do, I'll buy the hair. And for weeks, I'm just like trying to work up the energy and the initiative to actually do it. And I'm mentally working up the task of combing my hair in my head and it seems impossible. It seems like something I can't do. I'll watch YouTube videos to make sure I know how to do the style. Um, I'll ask friends, I'll ask my little sister to help me part it at the back. And I still just feel like the task is insurmountable depending what's going on in my life, depending on how anxious I am, how many other things I have to do. I feel like people really underestimate the effort of partying. Oh, yeah. I remember one night I'd spent like just like doing two rows of the back of my head. And then like I was like, this is terrible. I took them out. I spent like another two days literally just parting all of my hair in like little braids and then doing my hair again. And then like spending hours and hours and hours actually braiding everything to make it look even and actually having everything actually attached to the hair was just so much work and like so draining. I really relate to what you said about those, the first two rows. This style I currently have, which um, because this is an audible medium, I will describe Mm -hmm. it. I have um, black roots, which are partially my roots and partially the ombre canicle on hair I'm using. And then it goes to a darker green and then it goes to like a mint green. And I put a whole bunch of beads, glow in the dark beads in different shades of green and white and just thematic green and colorful and glow in the dark beads and yeah, it's really tricked out hair and it took me a long time. But what took me the longest was actually those first, the first row where it's right at the nape of your neck. The hair there is really short. The hair there is really tender. If you pull it too tight, you are going to cause yourself pain and possibly breakage. And what I did was get help. Um, I called my youngest sister and honestly, what she was offering more than just parting the back of my head, which she did was moral support because I kept pulling it out again and saying it's not good enough. I did that for hours, four braids. There's only four, I'm counting them. There's four braids at the nape of my neck. And I did them and redid them for hours because they were never the way I wanted them to be. And like, yeah, that's perfectionism, but it's also, you're thinking about the fact that you want to last. You want this style to stretch out for as long as possible. And Alyssa makes a good point there. Not only is maintaining our hair good for its long-term health, we also want to be able to do these intricate styles in order to protect our hair from harsh weather and constant manipulation. After spending all that time doing my braids before and during my move to Toronto, the styles even last a month, so it's hard not to beat yourself up about messing up a style, especially when it's time-consuming as braids. It's even harder when depression gets in the way of even starting those styles, which Lydia can attest to. So like after, way after I started doing my own hair, there was a huge correlation between when I was depressed and when my hair was just like totally neglected or when I was feeling really anxious and I would have like um, like a nervous habit of scratching my scalp or things like that. So if I'm neglecting it, I'm not moisturizing it and I'm constantly scratching at it, it's going to like create like, you know, open sores and things like that. So my scalp wasn't healthy and you could tell like that 
around my temples is where my hair is thinning and that's because like that's one of the places where I just absentmindedly scratch. And it's taken more of a toll on folks like Abby who have used their braiding skills as a source of income. I'm now 28. I had to calculate that for a moment. I just feel old now. Um, I'm now 28. Um, and since I was around uh, 21, I have been styling and braiding my own hair, uh, as well as it accidentally becoming a side hustle. But I've gotten to the point where I've had to stop and I exclusively do my own hair now. One of the reasons is that at the beginning of 2019, I was diagnosed with carpal tunnel. And so my, my capacity for braids wasn't where it was at anymore. And the time that it would take to do hair at the quality of which that I usually do it starts to take longer and longer and longer. And so very quickly, a four hour session would be six hours, for example, because I'm having to take more breaks. In terms of like symptoms, my hands will just go numb and then they'll just like drop things. Or I'll get like cramps like in my forearms and things like that, or my fingers will twitch. And it's just, it's very distracting. So it's difficult to push through an activity, um, including the maintenance of my hair. So I've really gotten to the point where it's like, okay, when I have a good hand day, that's a good time to do a protective style in my hair and figure out the best way to maintain it for as long as possible. Because I'll know that I, I can't refresh my braided styles every two weeks like I used to. And with the pandemic coinciding with Appy's carpal tunnel, not only has it affected her side hustle, but also their own relationship to their gender, which Lydia and I can also relate to. I remember growing up, I didn't like having my hair done. I hated it. I have four older brothers, the youngest of the brothers I grew up with at home. And so I always like looked to him as like my North Star of the sibling I want to be like. And I always, when I was a toddler, was like, cut my hair. I was like, I want a buzz cut just like his. I was born with a full afro and my hair like grew past my shoulders when I was a toddler. I hated it. I was like, fuck this noise, like take it off my head. It's too much to deal with. <laughs> and then growing up, I always loved the, like the two cornrows, like people call it like the Dutch braids. I, I loved, I loved getting those done. And then my mom started doing the like fishbone version of it. So it would actually last all week. But then I remember being on the bus with high school students and they would always question my gender. They'd be like, is that a girl or a boy over there? Is that a this or a that? Is that whatever? And they just like, <laughs> I wasn't angry about the question itself. I was angry about being a subject of speculation continuously. I think especially since COVID, because all I have is just like time on my hands to sit and think. Mm. And, and that's kind of one of the things I've been thinking about, gender expression and how I'm perceived and how I perceive myself and, and if those two things align, it was always this understanding I had and I'm not sure where it came from, but this like idea that longer hair was very feminized and, and there were periods in my life where I just was not identifying as very feminine and there have been different reasons for that, but regardless, it was just something that was kind of like hard to unpack, like a teenager or, and now that I'm older, I'm like, okay, let's, let's unpack that. Still, there's this like push and pull relationship with my hair. And now I'm adding this layer of like being queer and gender questioning. So now I'm really politicizing the hair and I'm like, damn, that's like, what does my hair communicate about me? And what do I want it to communicate about me? And how do I like reclaim agency over it? These are things that I'm constantly like mulling over, you know, like, do I want to shave it or is that 
just me again like trying to lash out against something outside of myself will that affirm my gender for me will that you know put me into another kind of crisis of of self and like self-esteem or yeah I definitely like relate to that because I feel within this pandemic since I'm not really performing gender like I'm not like I'm not really going anywhere I'm usually just wearing like sweaters and like loose stuff all the time I've thought a lot about how I perceive femininity and like masculinity and how that has affected how I like present with my hair and stuff like that because like I love like long braids and like super colorful braids and stuff like that I'll do that all the time Mm -hmm. but like um I know like especially like as a kid if I had like cornrows like I, f- I would feel like so terrible and like my confidence would be terrible. Like I could not like even deal with even the thought of being within these like, like quote unquote like masculine type styles. Like mm-hmm. I kept on thinking like if I have cornrows, like they're going to start calling me Jaden Smith and bow out. And I don't want that. Like I don't want to be perceived that way. And like, yeah, like I, th- I think it's just been taking a lot of unpacking right now just to think about how- why am I disgusted by that? Why is that such a bad thing? That's just like, that's just part of how like black hair stays fresh. That's how you protect black hair and stuff like that. Yeah, like I remembered that and I remembered I hated cornrows. Like I used to think, oh, I don't like my forehead. I don't like my hairline. And I don't know if that happened to me. If, if, people, if like students called me like bow wow or <laughs> something, but I just like, oh, why do I remember this happening? I don't even think they call me that. I just have that memory. Like, I don't want to be compared to them. Or, like, Snoop Dogg. Like, why did I have that in my head? I don't know. <laughs> they used to call me Snoop Dogg. <laughs> I was very, like, lanky and, like, taller than a lot of the other kids in elementary school. And they used to call me Snoop Dogg. Wow, I can't believe you just said that. <laughs> oh, kids can be so mean. To this day, I genuinely cannot tell you what put that thought in my head. That could honestly be a podcast of its own. But before we head to the final segment, I feel that Abby sums up best my thoughts on my hair. I kind of wish sometimes that it was just like a regular, regular thing. And it's just part of our general expression in the same way that makeup is, in the same way that nails is. But everything that Black people do is, again, this topic of like, whoa, what are they going to do next? What are they going to innovate next? We've covered some pretty tough topics so far, gotten to some of the nitty and gritty aspects of black hair care. I had the amazing opportunity to chat to these amazing black folks about patience, about family, about mental health, about white supremacy, about gender expression and queerness and all these other aspects that make black hair care as complex as it is. And finally, I'll share how Alyssa, Abby and Lydia find joy in their, or others, black hair. My favorite part is is that it's a community building thing um, that I associate hair with like all the heads of hair I've combed. I've never combed anyone's hair for money. I've combed friend's hair. I've combed cousin's hair. I've combed my little sister's hair. I've now combed my girlfriend's hair. Um, And it's kind of intimate. Like the way we do it is I sit on a couch or chair and they sit on the ground between my legs. And like, this isn't a... This isn't the thing I would just do with anyone. I believe that there's an energy exchange involved in combing someone's hair. Um, I'm feeling their texture, figuring out what's good for them, going through my large arsenal of products and picking what would work for them. And like, it's intimate, it's personal, it's kind of spiritual. 
it has cultural significance, it has meaning to be sharing this experience with somebody and to have them let me be this close to them and like trust me to make them look in a way that they'll feel comfortable with and to not hurt them while I do it. Um, and it just that just has so much value to me and I don't even know who I'd be without it. That's something I really admire in black folks like Alyssa, the way she perceives black hair care as communal, as mutual aid, as spiritual. I hope to one day be able to see it that way too. A second thing is that it allows me to experience gender differently. I also love what Alyssa and Abby shared about how their hair has been a portal into gender expression. Having that close cut was really affirming. Uh, a lot of people were using different pronouns on me than I'd ever had used before. And like, I didn't even know that I wanted that. I didn't even know that I liked when people use he or they to describe me. But when I had a close cut, I was I was giving masculine vibes and I was getting affirmation from strangers and friends alike. And I like the morphability of black hair. I like that I can have, you know, I can have all of these different styles without appropriating, haha, <laughs> because this is actually my culture. I'm not taking from anybody in order to shift into these different versions of myself. I'm just like emulating my own people. And if sometimes I'm emulating, you know, a more masculine style, I'm not putting on a costume. I'm just getting to be another side of myself. And that feels really, really empowering. Now in my late 20s, I they won't be seen on the recording, but I like did an undercut finally because I was like, I've always wanted to cut my hair. And the back of my hair is always shorter than the front of my hair. So when I wanted to style it up, it like the back wouldn't always catch. So I was like, I'm just gonna cut it off because I love it. Um, <laughs> and then now I have this look where like my fro kind of bangs in front of my forehead, and it's really helped me like lean into my androgyny feels where I'm like I can always style it and put braids in it and like do cute space buns and shit and whatever yeah I'll wake up one morning and be like kind of want to be more boyish or kind of want to be more like high femme and girly I love that I can manipulate and control what my person looks like <laughs> it's really nice to be able to explore expression without shame it comes into our blackness and it comes to our queerness and our gender expression and it's really beautiful <laughs> it's really really beautiful but also i mean i've been noticing i've been seeing so many other black people right now just doing so many cool different things with their hair i'm seeing like men and stuff like that getting braids i'm like yeah like braids with just their natural hair but also with extensions and i'm just seeing so many yeah. other people like yes i love seeing the blurred lines of hair among black people seeing black people with really cool hair is one of the reasons i first began to love my own hair or at least its potential Leia and I can really relate on that. I love seeing like black people with like colored hair. I love seeing that. I love really colorful wigs and like extensions and braids. Like I love colorful hair. I wish I could like braid my hair so that I wouldn't have to burden somebody else whenever I want to change it. Cause I feel like if I start, I'm going to change it like every week. And that's how much I want to like play with color for a bit. But yeah, just like seeing, just seeing um, black people with colorful, colorful hair. That's like something that I feel like is such an expression of, of joy. And I would love to leave it there, but it wouldn't be fair to discard the honesty of Lydia's response. So instead of hammering again about how we should be holding spaces for all the complex feelings, the good, bad, and ugly of black hair, I'm going to let Lydia take over for a bit. I had thought about this question and my initial response was going to be like, no, 
I don't actually find joy or liberation in my hair right now. It's, it's so much more political than just like straight hair versus curly hair. This binary, like this like oppositional narrative is, it's not as simple as that. And it's superficial too. It's like, you know, it's part of misogyny. It's part of patriarchy to like reduce the aesthetic of hair as like a superficial thing, a self-indulgent thing in a relationship with our hair and the significance of our hair, the history of it, power it has to inform our experiences, even with things like sadness and low self-esteem and mental health and feeling like displaced and feeling like you don't belong, feeling othered. Like these are all really powerful experiences, especially for young children. And so like, it's not just hair, it's, it's so much more. It's tied into so many things that define us and define our experiences. So resisting all of these like patriarchal systems and like oppressive systems to say like, no, I'm going to own all the complicated feelings that come with my hair. I'm going to love it and hate it. And, you know, I'm going to reclaim my agency and say, like, you don't get to have a say. All in all, black hair is complicated it's fun it's liberating it's cultural it's beautiful it's versatile it's resistant but in the very same breath it's hard it's time consuming it's a learning curve trying to understand and kick it or two it is almost irrevocably connected to our pain self-worth and self-esteem it's police and charge starting with our families but also from non-black and black strangers alike and no matter how long we work on ourselves, those comments and perceptions will always be at play when others interact with us. There are so many layers to this topic, and even as a mind behind this podcast, it's taken me a lot of time to truly sit with all these interviews, to sit with the knowledge and stories shared, to edit it down to its final form without ignoring my own like dry hair and even drier scalp. But this is my hair. No one's going to deal with it but me. So I'm going to try my hardest to do what I can and not stress myself into the spiral. To be as gentle with my hair as Alyssa is with her friends and families. Or as I should be with my already fragile mental health during this panoramic. Um, I'll try today, and the next, and the one after that too. For as long as I can. And I hope every black person listening to this tries too. That was Adele Lucasa on natural hair. I'd usually say what the next episode entails, but this is the last one. If you've been listening along, thank you so much for taking the time to enjoy our work.